This is the VMware Financial Services podcast series called Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It. It's a podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. I'm Matthew O'Neill. I'm the Financial Services Industry Managing Director at VMware in the office of the CTO. I've been with VMware now for two and a half years. Prior to that, I spent 30 years of my career in banking and banking IT. The aim of this podcast is to try and answer some questions that in my prior life, I didn't even know I had as questions. Today, I'm joined by Scott McKinnon. Uh, Scott, can you tell us a bit about you? Um, hi, hi, Matthew, and um, thank you for the opportunity to uh, to join you on the podcast. Um, yeah, Scott McKinnon, I work as a security architect um, inside VMware's um, SDDC architecture team, which is software-defined uh, data centers. I've been in VMware for around four years now, and um, I focus on security, uh, regulation, and uh, compliance as that pertains to information assurance. That's a lot of areas that you cover. So, um, so. In my prior life, I would have never thought of VMware for security. So why don't we start there? Why VMware for security? I think that's a great question. I um, when I first joined uh, VMware, I had um, had similar thoughts as well. Um, VMware is traditionally seen as uh, being you know a compute virtualization and platform. However, um, we do have a wide, wide uh, variety of uh, reach inside our customers' uh, networks and inside their uh, data centers. And because we have the, the software layer that runs across workloads within. Uh, data centers can run across uh, clouds, then we have actually a pretty unique perspective on how we can um, affect uh, the security of those workloads just because we are in the uh, the software virtualization layer. Uh, okay, yeah, I get that. So, so we're in a good position with our customers already. We're already in the heart of the data center. What can we bring to the customer? What 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 would we engage with? So again, I think that's another really good question. And if a customer is thinking about engaging with their VMware from a security point of view, then I would like to talk to them around probably three different areas. The first one would be um, about supply chain risk, because honestly, when a customer wants to adopt a new technology partner, that does represent some kind of risk to their supply chain. So I would talk about the various different processes and procedures that VMware has in, has in place to make sure that you know we are able to conduct our business in uh, ways that protects customers' data, that we have a good governance over our uh, own uh, personal identifiable data, and that our employees are able to uh, work in a effectively a, a secure manner. So there's there's definitely a piece about um, us and our supply chain. I think the next part that I would I would say to customers would be about um, you know how well do we build products because ultimately they can transact with us as a technology partner but we are going to be placing our products um, inside their organisation within their infrastructure so I would then go on to have a conversation about how we uh, use um, internationally recognised standards to to build our products so we have good engineering discipline that we have um, a security development life cycle that we have ways of uh, managing vulnerability and uh, and uh, bugs inside our infrastructure. And generally, that um, that they can trust that when they use one of our products, that it's been built in a good and, and robust uh, manner. And then I guess the third piece that I would uh, think about is how we actually operate cloud services, because increasingly customers are not buying from VMware. They're more um, effectively consuming um, our, our cloud services or uh, cloud services that um, our partners are running. And therefore, 
there's an information assurance um, you know discussion to be had there about you know are we managing uh, data properly there um, are we able to produce um, reports that show that not only do we have these operational procedures but we are being independently audited to prove that we that we are keeping to those uh, procedures so I'd say that's the kind of the three um, you know tenants effectively of, of 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 why VMware could be trusted by by customers to uh, to engage with us. Okay, super, super. So, so does that kind of fit within a within the kind of the banking context? I think this term operational resilience kind of keeps coming up, where where you know the the banks need to think beyond just what does it take to to recover a service or or, or one element of it, but to think about that kind of whole end to end service resilience. So, is that is that an area that you're engaging in and having conversations? Yeah, indeed. So I think it, it comes down to risk. And obviously for organization, there's there's lots of different kinds of risk. There's, you know, in the banking sector, there's obviously physical risk from, you know, guys turning up and trying to um, take uh, money and assets. But um, but as we move into a far more, uh, you know, transformational digital model, then um, the, the cyber risk is, is obviously um, important. And it's very, very difficult to say you'll never, ever, ever uh, uh, allow any breach of your infrastructure. So a far more, you know, pragmatic approach would be to think about, well, how do you recover um, from any cyber incident incidences that you uh, that you may have? And that leads you into that, that conversation about, you know, operational uh, resiliency and, and how you can recover. And yes, we, we have those uh, conversations with our with our customers because we have a collection of technologies that can provide you know uh, high availability. Uh, we can provide visibility as to what's happening as well. And because we we have a software layer, then we have the an automated response to it, so we can help. You know, if this incident recurs, then you can begin to use the uh, the tooling itself to uh, to st set up new services and otherwise make sure that the organization can continue to uh, to operate. Okay. Okay. So one of the things that, that I found in a lot of the conversations I've been having since joining VMware is is the things that are keeping CIOs awake at night, particularly banking CIOs, and 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 you know it's not this is different from what are their desires or what are they trying to achieve, but the things that are actually keeping them awake at night, and and pretty much number one for everybody has been a kind of like a cyber incident and uh, um, some kind of event activity that's kind of outside of their control be that hackers collusion or, or whatever um and and that's yeah that's kind of the first leading on to regulatory breach that they didn't realize they you know that, that happened or, or some kind of compliance failure beyond getting into worrying about service and keeping and keeping service running or running to operational matrix uh, metrics and then you know innovating and delivering a great you know a, a even better customer experience. But those first two around uh, cyber risk and and regulatory, you know, there's some fairly huge penalties for mm, indeed, for, yeah. for the banks or, or particularly for executives. Um, is that is that a kind of a conversation that we're increasingly having, or is it really left as a CISO? You you can kind of go and worry about this. You know, are, are the CIOs really getting or? CIOs and above engaging with your group on those topics. 
Yes, I mean we 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 have conversations with um, with with CISOs with uh, uh, with with CIOs as well, and um, you know if particularly uh, th- thinking about the uh, GDPR um, uh, regulation and how you know organisations are now you know duty legally bound to report um, cyber incidences within you know seventy two hours, and then depending upon the uh, the mitigations and the severity of the breach, then the the information commissioner officer in the UK, at least that, um, that's the name of the, uh, the department here, um, can, can levy fines. And we've seen organisations um, recently, you know, being hit with some fairly some some fairly um, hefty fines. So it would be, in my opinion, a prudent move for, um, you know, people who are responsible inside organisations, you know, the CISO, um, to, to ensure that uh, they have uh, an adequate set of uh, protections in place um, so that they, you know, A, have the ability to spot and detect if there's any cyber instances happening, um, but also to mitigate any, you know, material losses that, that, that could occur from that. So, you know, being able to effectively raise the security bar inside those particular organisations uh, is definitely a, a top of mind um, subject that, that, that we uh, come across. So there's this t- there's this term that I think I think has come up in some of our prior conversations in in, in the podcast around the the very uh, you know threat levels or um, zero based uh, admin privileges or or, mm. or zero based uh, privilege. So um, you know thinking about thinking about you know the cyber can kind of come from the outside, but you've also got incidents can come from the in. Yeah. So. Um, you know, what what what's your what are your thoughts or or where you know where customers are in their kind of zero based world because you know a tiny story i thought this was all done you know i thought from from years ago years and years ago it was a hot topic that you took away admin privilege from everybody you started at the desktop you then went to the admins you took away workgroup admin domain admin enterprise admin and and you only got these on demand or on 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 incident but I still see incidents coming through from time to time that the root cause was standing admin access. So you know, what's the reality there? What do you what do you what do you hear about, see, or otherwise? Because as I say, I've maybe got a tainted view. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point because I think at least at an intellectual level, everybody can understand the the principle behind you know whether that's a zero trust network or whether you want to bring in these ideas of a least privilege. You know, things should only entities should only ever have the rights and permissions that they need to perform the function for which they were uh, designed. That's fairly straightforward to say. I think the challenge lies in effectively operationalizing that. How do you, first of all, determine exactly what you have inside your um, environment, inside your infrastructure? And then once you have a view on what you actually have, then you need to begin to think about, well, what privileges does that entity require? And how can I go about effectively codifying them so that I can put some controls or some monitor monitoring in uh, around about it. And that is the, uh, the, the, more, the more difficult piece. So I, I can see that, um, you know, lots of organizations may have that as a, 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 a headline, um, you know, security outcome that they wish to achieve, but actually achieving it and operationally is the, is, is, is the challenge. Got it. Uh, well, and thank you for adjusting my language because I think I may have mixed up two, <laughs> two terms there between zero trust and least privilege. Yeah. So, so beyond recent incidents, there's been recent security incidents where where certificates or where uh, capabilities have been available or have been left open um, in public cloud 
environments that then giving hackers the opportunity to to get access to those public cloud infrastructures. So again, a conversation that we were having with Joe uh, a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about the magic of the cloud. You know, all of all, all problems are solved once you move to the public cloud. You know, uh, so again, you know, are, are you seeing this is just a silo issue? It's a repeat of everything you already know, or do you need to do things differently? My take on it is that there's a degree of um, aspects which which are similar. You know, you have a, a compute workload and you want to um, have it available um, in a different environment, whether you build your own data centers and run your own infrastructure or whether you have the kind of more consumable, elastic, um, high availability model of the, of the cloud. And there are certain things that um, are, are the same. And in fact, that, that's actually a good, a good point for um, consistency because ideally you wouldn't want to have to apply a particular set of controls to workloads when they're on-premise and then have a completely different set of controls that you need to apply when you when you wish to run uh, that workload on the cloud, for example. So that way you're automatically creating this idea of a, of a, of a silo. There's a skill set and team required for the cloud and there's a different skill set and team required um, for, for the on-prem or the private cloud. And being able to be consistent across that can help because ultimately it's still an asset that needs to be protected and therefore there's, there's, there's a bit of commonality. So where things do differ are in effective with the realization of that. You, you maybe have different underlying capabilities on the public cloud because they're tied into how that particular public cloud um, provider um, implements their, uh, their controls. But again, the idea of abstraction and being able to um, treat an entity at a more uh, object level rather than the uh, the technical level are ways of uh, making sure that you can have that consistency. So I think that nicely <laughs> nicely leads into, we've been talking a lot in, in this podcast series around run the bank versus change the bank. Mm. Uh, you know, the cost to run, the volume of, of um, expenditure that goes into uh, you know, the software, the service, the people, the operation of of those environment versus the ability to innovate, to change and, and to do otherwise. Before we got talking uh, with the microphones on today, we were talking about the number of software, vent- sorry, the number of security vendors versus the number of software vendors, mm. the, the, um, the, the footprint of where, where we spend or where an enterprise typically spends is kind of out of control or, or yeah. close to out of control. <clears throat> I say that to be provocative, but you know, what, what, What's your take on this? You know that, that clearly there's lots of ways to plug the dam, and let's put another ta- another tool on each one of them, right? Yeah. So that that seems to have been the security industry's response, and I think that is born out of the fact that they are always looking at this kind of chasing the threat model. So threats continue to evolve. You know, malware researchers are always investing their, their time and their resources in discovering new ways of compromising infrastructure that then turns into, uh, you know, some malware that, that's available in the uh, in, in the wild. And then, you know, nimble organizations innovate and come up with solutions to do and they convince um, organizations that they need to buy this new tool. And eventually you end up with, you know, this tool, tool creep where you have many, many uh, different you know, security uh, capabilities inside an organization. And if you compare and contrast that to other, you know, functional departments inside, um, you know, banks, for example, then it's, it's, it's completely out, 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 of, out of whack. You know, you maybe have um, one network vendor, you maybe have a different um, 
wireless network vendor and maybe you'll use in your, in your DR site, you may, you may choose to have a third vendor, but you can have 80, 100, 120 uh, different uh, security uh, tools. I mean, that's a conversation that when I'm talking to um, CISOs that, that I always ask them about, you know, how many, how many security tools do you, do you have? And for those that are able to answer, it, it can range from, you know, as I said, 80 to 100 to 120. And some are not even sure how many tools are under their uh, security department's control. And, you know, why, why is this a problem? It's because if you have, you know, your business um, strategy and how you wish to, you know, translate that into how to protect your business through your assets, then you're trying to take a security strategy and run that across many, many different um, products. And when you do that, each product has its own skills required to deploy, operate and manage the product. It has its own pieces of software itself that need to be, you know, patched and maintained and, uh, and updated. And effectively, trying to be consistent across all of that is, is nigh on impossible and perhaps is one reason why, why we still begin, why we still um, see uh, compromises and, uh, and, and breaches. So, you know, to expand that, that point slightly, I would say that, you know, the real challenge for the security industry is that we need to think about um, how we can effectively move away from that kind of react, um, reactive only model and think about doing things more proactively. And by, by being more proactive, we're talking about reducing the attack surface, making it more obvious when events occur that we do not expect to occur, which is back to our a conversation on uh, on on least privilege, and really and really think about um, being able to build the security controls into the layers that we already have there, rather than having to add something else on. And if we are successful at doing that, that will also help with the that siloed um, approach that that also creates problems that we that we just touched on. So you know, making things part of the infrastructure making sure that um, we are reducing the attack surface to be as small as possible and getting rid of um, silos so that, you know, development teams don't point to the security team and say, we're all ready to launch, but the security guys are holding it up <laughs> is, is, is not really, I mean, that almost, you know, gets rid of the whole benefit of having kind of agile uh, you know, application development teams. So, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's difficult for customers, but, you know, particularly the CIOs of our customers, to feel like they're taking the gamble on a completely new model. Again, you know, kind of bringing back a, um, a, an analogy from a, from a previous episode, we talked about our CIOs are very busy putting out fires. You know, they're there, they're there operating the, you know, filling up buckets and running to, to put that, uh, to put fires out. And, and um, I think we, you know, we talked about kind of coming along with a hose, mm-hmm. but they're too yeah. busy using the buckets right so um what approach could we take what 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 if there's one thing somebody could take away from our conversation today about how they could do something different what what could that be you know because because it, it's a start of, i think it's a start of a conversation right it's not going to be here's, here's the answer today but it's ha- yeah. you know so I, I think let's let's keep going with your um analogy of um buckets of uh, of water and trying to put out fires because that is actually quite a useful way of thinking about it so that whole idea of being uh, reactive that I, that I was talking about is the metaphorical equivalence of having your team of security personnel lining up passing buckets of water to each other and throwing it on the cyber incident that they uh, that they happen to um have have come across and i i would say that moving to that more reactive model would be well why don't we just 
install some smoke alarms. And then as soon as we we can sense that something has happened, we're then in position to to do something about it. So that's the idea about being more kind of proactive rather than waiting for the waiting the, for the fire to the, get the, grab hold. The <laughs> metaphorical smell of smoke to appear inside the uh, inside the building. So, okay. You know. Okay. All right. So look, change your gears a minute. There's this term that I I keep seeing. You know, we 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 talk about it a fair bit around um, intrinsic security. Mm. What's that all about? So I, th I think it's a way of being able to encapsulate the idea that um, th that we don't have to bolt things on, that that, that we don't um, have to you know keep um, adding new tools into the uh, the IT uh, security teams um, arsenal. But I think a good way of thinking about it is to 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 think about what's important, and that is the applications and the data. That's where the value for an organization lies, whether that's you know, a back-end database of customers or whether it's uh, a regulated you know, recording of financial transactions. There's, there's an application that processes some data, and that is uh, where you know, each organization um, and their customers or their partners will, will see the value. So if you focus on that uh, to begin with, and then the idea of intrinsic security would then be to look at all of the touch points that that application and data has within IT. And the five lenses that we've been using to talk to our customers um, around that are uh, the user and the identity that they can provide. So obviously, depending upon who you are and what credentials you can provide is going to have some effect on how that data and application is manipulated or processed. Then uh, the next lens I would say would be this idea of a device. So um, using your uh, own unpatched uh, you know, Windows XP machine is, is a different risk profile from a corporately managed Windows 10 uh, machine that's all patched and, and up to date. So understanding something around the um the, the current situation with the user's device and i believe you, you've had a, a chat with m spencer about mm -hmm. um yeah he told about, you you were going to tell us about this bit yes well, here <laughs> i am so but I, I think that we shouldn't lose sight of of the fact that on 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 the kind of consumption side um you really do need to think about the user and and their device and then if you think about where the workload is then there are three other kind of touch points that the data has there's the actual workload itself so how how is this actually you know turned into um, a computing platform that's consuming you know um, cpu memory and 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 storage and then as we know that increasingly applications are uh Dis distributed um, functions themselves. It's, there's no longer a monolithic application, but there's a decomposed and distributed um, set of uh, microservices and capabilities depending upon you know the application frameworks. And for those to be interconnected, then they have to touch a network. And therefore, a network is, a, again, another very interesting place where we would consider placing security controls. And then the final piece is obviously the cloud as well, as, as we've discussed. You know, some applications can be completely cloud native and run on public cloud, or they could be, you know, a more um, hybrid model where some aspects are, are on the public cloud and some are uh, running inside private data centers. So if we think about the applications and the data and touching these kind of five different um, areas of, of the infrastructure, then intrinsic security would be about trying to stitch together those different um, touch points in a, in a consistent way that not only um, provides technical capability to control, but also provides monitoring and analytics information round about it as well. So seeing exactly where the application is and being able to report on it effectively mm. is how I would describe, um, you know, our idea of intrinsic security. Right then. So this, so intrinsic security, 
that's something new that I have to buy now that I have to architect in from the start from a greenfield. That right? No, it, exactly the opposite is true. I mean, the customers will already have infrastructure in place. And what we really are talking about doing with intrinsic security is building upon that capability that's already there and enhancing it to, to add in these intrinsic um, security controls. So um, as long as you have, in our case, some VMware infrastructure there, then we, we can enhance that with uh, with intrinsic security without needing to require you to go and set up a brand new environment and have everything uh, greenfield from, from the beginning. It can, it can apply to existing workloads. Right. So, so I feel like I'm recapping a lot from the first day, the first one of these we did. But so, is, so are you saying that we already have the technology deployed? It's more about the processes that we follow, and and it's maybe getting the people to think differently. Yes, exactly. Because you know, let, let's take security. Typically, it's in another function, and it's seen as uh, you know being something that happens at the end of an application development and deployment process. And part of that is because of the tooling conversation that we've had. But the other the other part is that these uh, different groups are are operating inside silos. So if we can show um, security information inside the infrastructure manager, let's say, then that helps to. Um, bring bring down those silos and and allows for those controls to be applied um, as and when the applications are deployed rather than as an afterthought. All right. And and then in banking, there's this term a lot about division of duties. Mm-hmm. And that's, we're not going to, we're going to not going to tread on the wrong or, or blur too many reporting or too many lines. There. So sometimes you need a silo, but often you don't. So, you know, what are you seeing there? Is that- Yeah, and we see some similar things inside, um, you know, pu- public sector as well. So one, one, one group maybe defines what the policy is, and then there's another group has the responsibility to go and select a technology um, to do that so that there's a degree of um, operational independence in, in, in that regard. But, uh, you know, ultimately um, what we want to be able to do, as I said earlier, is to kind of focus on the applications and the data and make sure that the appropriate controls are applied at the appropriate uh, point in, in time. Okay, okay. So I think the model that you just talked about is often referred to as lines of defense in a banking context anyway. Mm. I think we, we talk about lines of defense a lot. Um, and, and usually that's in the context of operational risk. Yes, um, risk. So, I'd agree. This is all about how do you reduce the risk? Right, right. Okay. So and I'm going to come kind of come back to my run the bank, change the bank theme again with you know, one of the big things that we spend money to on run the bank is on mitigating operational risks. Yes. So, you know, is this something you can kind of see um, is, a, is a monetizable thing that we can do? You know, is, is, there, a, if the, is there a methodology or, a, or, or something we can do to help our customers mitigate some of those operational risks and make some, some risk savings? Yeah, and that's exactly the way in which I, I would frame a conversation. It is about uh, reducing risk. And, you know, one technique that we use uh, with, with customers is to look at what Gartner are actually publishing um, to, to their customers, which is something called the, uh, the Cloud uh, Workload Protection Profile. And what that does is they have gone through and done an assessment on all of the various security controls that are available to to the market. And then they've then stacked ranked them in terms of how effective they are at actually uh, reducing uh, risk 
and then they've placed it inside a nice uh, pyramid um, structure. And the idea being are uh, the more foundational um, elements of the pyramid give more in terms of uh, risk reduction for the levels of investment that uh, organizations can make. So if you think about what um, Gartner are, are, are showing, they, they, they talk about operations hygiene and being able to make sure that you have good people and process technology around about um, how you're protecting these workloads. You know, anything from only authorized personnel are allowed to visit the uh, the data center all the way through the various different um, processes that they that they have. So that's the most important thing uh, that you can do. And then um, after that, that they then talk about being able to do, uh, you know, configuration guides, hardening guides, thinking about uh, vulnerability uh, management. And then we would then show customers the uh, the capabilities that they have already purchased from uh, VMware that they are perhaps not aware of or, or, or not using. But these are, again, more foundational um, tactics that um, customers can take to do that. And then as you go through that, you know, we, we have um, different um, products and solutions that, 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 that can help them all the way up to, you know, things like endpoint uh, detection and response. That's perfect. I mean, that kind of summarizes why we're doing these podcasts. You know, there's mm. there's capabilities that our customers already have that either directly or indirectly don't know that don't yeah, know they're there, yeah. and that's that's and and some some of it is uh, uh, an actual technical capability of the product, but other things are actually uh, you know operational documentation, and we 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 provide you know blueprints, we provide. Um, documentation so that customers can write their own, you know, high level and low level uh, designs. They can reference this. We we have decision matrices for them, things that can help on that people and process, and not just on the uh, the technology side. Right. Well, and I guess some of that comes to they have to see us as a security vendor. They have to see us. There has to be an appetite for them to to trust us with with this aspect as well. Mm. So that kind of kind of like maybe I'm answering my own question, but. What's the story with Carbon Black then? Yeah, well, again, a great question, Matthew. So Carbon Black um, are one of the uh, companies who created this um, endpoint uh, detection and response uh, part of the, uh, the market. And inside VMware, we had been working with them for a number of years on one of our uh, workload uh, protection um, solutions and built up uh, you know, a, strong, a strong relationship and got a lot of value from what Carbon Black uh, can bring, which... It's really about uh, cloud intelligence. So they have um, a, a massive uh, cloud capability whereby they can look at risk information. They've got uh, vulnerability uh, data and they're using you know, different AI and ML uh, techniques to be able to uh, see and predict uh, various events. Right, right. Okay, got it. So from all the customers you're speaking to, you know, inside and outside of financial services, mm-hmm. what, what do you think the biggest threat is at the moment? What's the thing that's keeping them worrying about you know, threats? I, I still think that the insider threat is is very high on on that agenda. You know, having um, you know humans, these emotional, fallible um, entities uh, who have responsibility inside an organization is is, is probably still seen as the uh, the biggest the biggest threat. Okay, and and what about then the biggest issues that your that the customers are facing? If 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 it's not just mitigating that one threat. I think issue-wise, there's there's definitely seen to be a challenge with being able to operationalize security. I mean, the as we've mentioned, the application uh, teams are becoming more agile. They're becoming faster. They can go around their cycles more and more quickly. And keeping the 
a security function up to speed with that as a challenge. You know, for for example, I was at um, an IDC um, CISO summit in the last in the last two weeks, and they 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 highlighted um, shadow IT and cloud as the main reasons why the organizations that they talk to can't get to full maturity over their um, security and risk model. And it's because the development teams want to sidestep security because they want to get the project finished, the application launched, and otherwise get to value uh, quicker. Okay, so emerging threats then. What what things are you thinking of, you personally, being a professional in this, in this area, um, not divulging any any secret information that you might have from agencies or otherwise you might be talking with, but what, you know, what do you see or what, what would be the things that you think are future emerging? You know, it could be long-term horizon mm-hmm. threats that, you know, assuming you get the insider threat sorted or, yeah. or you get to a, an operational level of comfort from it or understanding from it, you know, what do you think's, what do you think's coming next? So I, I think IoT and you know operational technology in, in general is, is something that needs a, a lot more concern. I just have to look at my own hallway. So I have my Nest, I have my Philips Hue, I have my Sonos device, I have my solar um, metering uh, piece of um, software just 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 sitting there. And these things are are using you know goodness knows what protocols based on goodness knows what base operating systems at which patch level. Who knows? So I think the real challenge for um, IoT in general is the ability to understand you know what is there and how and what needs to be patched because there are always uh, there are always uh, vulnerabilities. So IoT is definitely an area, and as it becomes more and more um, prevalent within many, many different organizations, you know, for sensing, uh, measuring, and uh, otherwise reporting our performance, that, that's got to be an area where security is only just becoming um, a, a concern. It's more about uh, utility and functionality, and uh, I would hope that, um, that the security aspects are now being considered. Okay. So actually, I I recently heard a story where um, uh, a hacker was uh, got access to the CCTV cameras, pivoted to the building management system, and then pivoted to the internal network, and then were right. able to get access to all sorts of stuff because traditionally banks still have open flat networks. So yeah, so yeah. That, that's that older model about as long as the perimeter is secure, then we're, we're, we're golden. And, you know, there's many, many different breaches that um, that, that, that scotch uh, the, that myth. And if you begin to, you know, for reasons of, again, you know, utility and um, uh, functionality, connect other systems to, to your network, then that's absolutely a risk that you run. And you may not even, you know, some people may not even know that that has happened. So that, uh, you know, creates huge challenges. Okay. Anything beyond... So IoTs are kind of sounds a bit more like a now risk yeah, that maybe sure. yeah. cons- maybe the next kind of starting in the consumer and, yeah, not necessarily corporate IT space. So anything else that you're... So I think quantum is uh, is something that's... That, that's- generally you know appearing on the on the horizon and obviously because of the the huge amounts of uh compute power that's available then that puts our existing encryption algorithms and uh, key management uh, pr- uh, procedures and process at, at risk because they're essentially based on the difficulty of factoring uh, large prime numbers and if we're able to uh, to do that um, instantly then that's definitely a challenge for the security mm. industry mm. because keys key management Encryption algorithms are, you know, one of the fundamental building blocks of 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 the protections that we put in place. 
Okay. So the quantum one I've heard I've heard mentioned in some circles. I think you know we're looking at the the quantum resistant algorithms. So you know that's one of the ones that that I think we're spending some time worrying about. But the other thing that you mentioned though is still back to people, right? And and you know key management. It's all it's great having a quantum resistant key, but if you then pu- post it in a public place, you're probably not. Um, yeah, we're exactly. probably still <laughs> falling over. <laughs> exactly, and and again, you know, there's there's the world is full of examples of poor key management and how that's compromised um, um systems. So you do need to think holistically. It is about people. It's definitely about process, and of course, technology has its place to uh, to play as well. That's super. That's super. Look, thank you for your time today. I've no, really enjoyed the conversation, and um, I'm I'm sure there'll be a ton more things that um, that will be worth kind of covering in a future topic. Um, if uh, if that's okay with you. Well, it'd be a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. For more information, please check out the show notes, vmware.com, or follow me on Twitter at Matthew Owen or on LinkedIn at Matthew.O'Neill.